It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. On this episode of Discover Your Spiritual Identity, we're focusing on a name given to God's people in Acts chapter 3. Peter refers to us as children of the prophets. Now, whatever you are a child of, you owe your existence to. In the natural, I am a child of Andrew and Winnie Shreve, and when they came together in marriage, a conception took place. I was the firstborn son that resulted, and I owe my existence to them, physically speaking. Well, certain things happened in my life spiritually that I also owe my existence to, and it traces all the way back to the prophets, all of the prophets that have spoken from the beginning. But let me focus on the place in Scripture where this name is actually applied to us. Peter and John have just come through the gate beautiful and prayed for a crippled man who had been there for many years. And uh, Peter said, such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And the man went leaping and jumping and praising God. And then a great crowd gathered to see this amazing miracle that had just taken place. And Peter gave them the explanation of how it was the Lord Jesus Christ that performed the miraculous that day. And to the Israelite crowd that had gathered, he said these words, you are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's Acts chapter 3, verse 25. Now, of course, foundationally, Peter was referring to just the seed of Abraham as being children of the prophets. And surely he chose that wording because the Jews listening to him owed their spiritual existence as a nation and as individual believers in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the ministry of the prophets who had spoken to them through the centuries in the name of the Lord. And they could easily trace their spiritual heritage and the revelation that was deposited in their hearts to all of those in the past who had flowed in the prophetic from the very beginning. But you and I have been grafted into Israel if we are Gentile believers. Whether we are Jew or Gentile, we are a part of the olive tree of Israel. And we are heirs of the promises that have been given to them. And if Israelites in Acts chapter 3 were referred to as children of the prophets, that title is transferred to all of us who are a part of the Israel of God because all those who are born again and washed in the blood of Jesus in the new covenant are assimilated into this eternal entity referred to as the Israel of God in Galatians chapter 6. Now let's go back to the very first prophecy that molded and shaped the belief system that we have participated in. 
In Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, actually the first prophecy took place. And that's when Adam prophesied concerning the one that was made out of his rib. And he said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Later on, Paul rehearsed this prophetic word. And he said, this is a great mystery, but it's speaking concerning Christ and the church, because he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. See, the union between Adam and Eve was all prophetic symbolically of the heavenly bridegroom and his earthly bride, that we are his bones and his flesh. And so the very first prophecy had long-term impact and reached all the way up into the new covenant era when it's applied to us. Also, the second main prophecy that was spoken in this world was actually from the Lord God himself to the serpent to Satan after the fall of Adam and Eve took place. And God spoke to the serpent and said, because you have done this, because he seduced Adam and Eve into his trap, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So that is the primary beginning of the redemptive messianic prophecies that would be given many times in many ways in many expressions for many centuries to come. Now that's the only quote-unquote prophetic word of God that Adam and Eve had and I'm sure they clung to it tenaciously because you have to cling to the prophetic word and you fight a good warfare with it. Later on, Paul said that to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, he said, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage a good warfare. What kind of warfare? A warfare against doubts and fears and feelings of inadequacy and a sense of defeat and feeling overwhelmed with the circumstances of life. Sometimes you've just got to take hold of a prophetic word and say, this is thus saith the Lord, it will come to pass no matter what I'm going through now. And in like manner, I believe Eve fought mentally and emotionally. She grappled with all these negative things going on inside of her, the guilt, the misery, the sense of separation from God, the overwhelming sense of failure. But she had a prophecy and she clung to it and it shaped her worldview because she knew that she would have an offspring that would bruise the head of the serpent. Now is when it gets more complicated because she thought Cain, her firstborn, would be the fulfillment of that messianic prophecy. 
But instead of him bruising the head of the serpent, he bruised the head of his own brother and killed him because of a jealous rage. After that happened, you can be sure that Eve fought an even more intense mental battle, wondering if she could trust the God who spoke that prophetic word to her, but she interpreted it within the framework of her own expectations. She didn't see the long-term evolution of that promise that would be fulfilled when Jesus walked the earth many centuries later. See, sometimes the prophetic word is a challenge for us to believe because we fit it within the framework of how we expect God to do it, when we expect God to do it, and we need to just let God be God and let it unfold in his timing and in his way. But see, as children of the prophets, that's the first primary messianic prophecy that we must cling to tenaciously with all of our heart, that Satan's demiss is at hand, that he will ultimately be destroyed at the coming of the Lord and thrown into the lake of fire forever. And this we cling to is prophesied not only in Genesis, but all the way over into the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. But it's a strange thing And God does this repeatedly, that he reveals the end from the beginning. And by doing so, he shows that he is God, and he gives confidence to his people to hold on in faith until the word of God comes to pass. In fact, the seventh from Adam was named Enoch. And the first prophecy chronologically after the one that was given to the serpent, is the one that flowed from Enoch and is rehearsed to us in the book of Jude. Chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about evil seducers in the last days, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So once again, chronologically, one of the first prophecies given by Enoch, is referring to one of the last things that God will do. God showing the end from the beginning. He does that often even in more confined ways with respect to stretches of time. For instance, he told John the Baptist that the one on whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining the same is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so the main sign that the father gave to John the Baptist concerning the Son of God, the Messiah, was that the Spirit would descend upon him and remain and that he would baptize others with the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus never did that. He never did that. He healed the sick. He cast out devils. He raised the dead. He multiplied the loaves and fishes. He preached the gospel. He did all of these marvelous and miraculous things. But during his earthly walk, 
He never baptized anyone with the Holy Spirit. No wonder John had this struggle with doubt at the end of his life, right before he was beheaded. And he sent his followers to Jesus saying, are you the one who should come or do we look for another? See, he didn't see the long-term aspect of the unfolding of the prophetic word, that it would take the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of the Lord Jesus before he would send the Holy Spirit back 10 days later and the power of God would fall in the upper room and cloven tongues of fire sat upon those who were gathered there and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The rushing mighty wind of the breath of God filled their entire being and they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's when it came to pass, but not within the framework of John's expectations, apparently. So beware, beware lest you confine God to your time clock. Just let him be God. Now, who are some of the other prophets that we are spiritual children of? We have had begotten in us a certain revelation, a certain understanding of certain principles and ideas and doctrines through the ministries of the prophets who have gone before us. Well, Job was a prophet, and in his great dilemma, he said, I know that my Redeemer lives and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. So he reveals that amazing name for God, the Redeemer, which means one who buys you back from bondage and restores you to an original inheritance. So Job prophesies that into the successive generations of God's people to come. And here we are a generation in the last days who is looking for the Redeemer to come. And he did tell us, he prophesied when he was on the earth, Matthew 24, that when you see all these latter-day signs come to pass, lift up your heads for your redemption draws nigh. So Job's prophecy in the beginning connects to Jesus' prophecy when he talked about last-day signs. We're children of that that has built an expectation inside of us that our Redeemer is coming. Abraham was referred to as a prophet, and he prophesied that his seed would go down into Egypt for 400 years where they would be abused and misused, and after that they would come out with great substance. He also received the prophetic word from the Lord that in his seed, all nations and all families of the earth would be blessed, which would only be possible through the Messiah. And then, of course, other prophets gave specific details. For instance, in Isaiah chapter 9, the wonderful prophecy we hear quoted so often, especially toward the end of the year, is the one that Isaiah gave that flows like this. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And then he went on to say that he would sit on the throne of his father David, and he would establish the kingdom of David in this world. What an amazing input into our lives. 
And also Isaiah prophesied that a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son and call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That shapes the doctrines that we believe in, that Jesus was the incarnation of God, not just a great teacher, but he was God manifested in the flesh, Emmanuel, and that he was conceived in the womb of a virgin. Micah, the prophet, even prophesied the city where he would be born. He said, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you be little or the least among all the thousands of cities in Judah, yet out of you shall come forth unto me he who is to be ruler in Israel, even him whose goings forth have been from of old, even from everlasting Now we have another deposit into our hearts and lives and minds, an understanding that Jesus had no beginning point, that his goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. He is the great I am who exists simultaneously in the eternal past, the present, and the eternal future. He is one eternal I am. Praise God for that prophecy. It shaped my belief system concerning who Jesus is. And then I've got to mention two fantastic prophecies that were given concerning the new covenant that you and I are participating in. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34, God declared that he was going to establish a new covenant with the house of Judah and the house of Israel. And this would be his covenant that he would write his law in our hearts, that no one would ever say to a fellow Israelite, know the Lord, because they would all know him, and that their sins and iniquities he would remember no more. And so he reveals prophetically that there's going to be an internal transformation in the new covenant where it's not an external law demanding that God's covenant people live up to its high standard, but there's going to be an internal shaping of character in the new covenant. He said, I will write my law on their hearts or inscribe it like a scribe would inscribe words or chisel words into a stone. So God has taken the stony tablet of our heart and chiseled his word into it so that his nature has become our nature, the new creation man inside of us. Praise God. And then in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, God said that in this coming new covenant, that he would put a new spirit in us and that he would put his spirit in us and cause us to walk in his statutes. So Jeremiah reveals that we will have a transformational experience of the word becoming a part of us. And Ezekiel reveals that we will have a transformational experience of the spirit being deposited within us. And no wonder Ezekiel said that we would receive a new heart a brand new heart through the infusion of the word and the spirit. Thank God for these prophets that have shaped the understanding of God's people concerning what this covenant is all about. Now, I do need to mention how Moses said when he was on the earth, Deuteronomy 18 verses 18 and 19, 
Thus saith the Lord, he said, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brothers, one like you. God is speaking to Moses. He said, one like you, and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I shall command him. And it shall happen that whatever man will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Or in other words, he will be held accountable. Now, when Jesus was on the earth, many people asked him if he was that prophet. In fact, in John chapter 6, when he multiplied the loaves and the fishes after the people saw that miracle, they came to him and said, this is truly the prophet, the one coming into the world. They were referring to the prophet that Moses had talked about. And that's when they tried to make Jesus a king. And he withdrew himself into a mountain away from them. And you may say, well, why would he do that? Because prophetically, the Bible says he is a king, but it wasn't God's timing yet. It was time for him to be the suffering servant, but not the reigning king. And if you and I are going to be children of the prophets and flow in the prophetic and function in the prophetic, we can't get ahead of God if Jesus had received their invitation to crown him as a king, it would have prevented the unfolding of the plan of God from taking place in the proper order. We have to be sensitive to those things. Now, we of the new covenant are prophetic people. We're called to have a prophetic nature. Prophecy is part of our spiritual DNA. And Jesus, who lives in us, is that great prophet. And the Bible said, of his fullness have we all received. And so if he was prophetic, then we should be prophetic. In fact, over in the book of Revelation, it says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when we testify about him to the people around us, we are prophesying that what he did then is what he will do now. If he forgave sinners then, he will forgive sinners now. If he healed the sick then, he will heal the sick now. The testimony, the recounting of what he has done is automatically a prophecy of what he will do. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, very quickly, I've got to tie all of this together. I want you to see that Joel declared, in the last days, says God, and by the way, the last days was an era that started with the day of Pentecost, because Peter quoted this scripture as being fulfilled the day when the Holy Spirit poured out in the upper room. Joel said, in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. He was talking about the sons and daughters of Israel, the sons and daughters of the nation of Israel, not only those that could trace their physical heritage to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but all those who would be assimilated into Israel through their connection with the Messiah that all of them will have a prophetic nature. How can that be? Well, you prophesy on numerous levels. You're prophesying just when you share the Bible with other people. You're speaking inspired words into their lives, words that were inspired to the Bible writers who received those communications from God and transferred them to us. 
Also, if you're really a prayerful person and you walk under the anointing on a day-to-day basis and you speak to people under inspiration, you're speaking prophetically into their lives. That's why in 1 Corinthians 14, 31, Paul said, you may all prophesy. You may not use the words, thus saith the Lord, and have an instantaneous utterance come out of you, but you can function under divine inspiration. And part of the last days is an increase in this spirit of prophecy in the people of God. Cessationists are wrong. Those who say that prophecy no longer happens, well, they refer back to 1 Corinthians 13, verses 9 and 10, where Paul said, we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. And their contention is the Bible is that which is perfect. It's the fulfillment of what Paul said. But then knowledge has passed away too. Then there's nothing to learn. No, this is talking about the culmination of all things when the Lord Jesus Christ will descend from heaven and bring this world out of its corruption into a status of perfection when he will reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's when prophecies will not be needed anymore. And that's when we will find in our lives all the prophetic words that we ever had spoken over us brought to final and complete fruition. I believe that the prophetic anointing can be shared because Moses had his anointing lifted from him and placed on 70 elders and they prophesied. And a couple of them, Eldad and Medad, were prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. In other words, they shouldn't be prophesying. And listen to what Moses said. He said, are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. That intercessory cry of Moses was fulfilled with the coming of the new covenant. Now I believe we should all be flowing in the prophetic every single day. I'm praying that for you right now. May God speak to you. He said, if there be a prophet among you, I will speak to him in dreams and in visions. So I pray that God will begin to infiltrate your dream life and speak prophetic dreams to you that will guide your life and enable you to speak prophetically into the lives of others. I pray that he will awaken a sensitivity to visions in you and that you will more than ever hear the prophetic word in your spirit. You are children of the prophets. Prophecy is part of your spiritual DNA. You need to be walking in this boldly in the mighty name of Yeshua, the name of Jesus, the one who was that great prophet over a family of prophetic sons and daughters that will change this world dramatically by the prophetic truth that flows out of them. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. 
You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be. 